2: Welcome back to your post-game Buckeye talk. Doug Laymeris, Nathan Baird, and Stephen Means in this stadium here at Maryland. Ohio State escapes on a day that Michigan also escaped against Illinois, setting up 11 and 0 versus 11 and 0 in the game at noon in Ohio Stadium next week. That really is what matters, but there's a lot of big picture, small picture stuff going on here. And as we're recording this, there's just a lot of funky stuff happening in college football. As we're recording this, Tennessee is currently losing. USC is currently losing. TCU won on a last-second field goal. Georgia did not win very convincingly on Saturday. And so for Ohio State and Michigan to escape can make you, I think, feel like, I don't know about these teams going into the game, but also I think we need to remember, since the Ohio State-Michigan game a year ago, the only game that either of those teams lost was Michigan losing to defending national champion Georgia not defending, to national champion Georgia in a semifinal last year. Otherwise, both of these teams have won every single game they've played, and that has to mean something, Nathan Baird, as we get ready for what going into the game is one of the most anticipated, high-level versions of the game that we have seen in 118 years of this rivalry.
1: Yeah, somebody in our uh, Hey Nathan question thing they do each week asked if this was like the biggest, the game ever considering the stakes of the game. And it's not just that a national championship is potentially on the line, but what it means for Ohio state, if they were to lose again, lose back to back and just the burden that that would bring with it for Brian day, for CJ Stroud, for the whole program. So I don't know if it actually, I, I, my, my answer was, yeah, probably not, but it certainly is the, maybe the most, the one with the most gravity in, in recent history And for a game that already draws the attention of college football in a big way, uh, I mean, all eyes should be on Columbus next week.
2: So just for context, it's not bigger than 06. 06 was one versus two. Bo died, and that was when the Big Ten ruled college football. Like, the Big Ten kind of was as good as it got. So – but it's very, very big. And the thing that was coming up, Stephen Means, in the press box on Saturday, I was having a little debate with some people – It certainly looked for a while like Michigan was going to lose to Illinois. And it was like, oh, man, like that's going to – oh, it's not going to be 11-0 versus 11-0. And then as it turned out, man, it looked for a while like Ohio State might lose to Maryland or at least had a chance to lose to Maryland. We got here to 11-0 and 11-0. We don't have to think about, oh, what if somebody would have lost on Saturday? But they still would have been the greatest rivals in college football. Ohio State still would be trying to avenge last year's loss. And they still frankly – which is a weird thing to begin to – cut. They both would have been in pretty much the same position for the playoff, which is if you win, you're the Big Ten East Champs, you're going to the Big Ten Championship game. And if you win there, you're in the playoff. Now, the thing that would have happened is that a loser would have been definitely, you know, potentially definitely out if it was your second loss or whatever. But it makes it cool, Steven. But almost all the stakes, this was a weird Saturday, but almost all the stakes would have been there regardless in some way, right? Although I think a lot of people were chomping up their fingernails watching Seven Hours of Football on Saturday. To
0: an extent, what happened today did not matter because of everything you just laid out. All that stuff is still on the table because they both would have just been one lost teams coming into that week next week. So it almost didn't matter. But because they won, it just throws as much shine on November 26th as humanly possible. We'll see if the sun will also join us on that day or not. But it just puts all the, it adds one more thing to all the stuff. That's behind the Ohio State-Michigan game this year, where there's always stuff, but some years there's more stuff, and this is probably the most stuff since 2006.
2: Did anybody think Ohio State looked past Maryland today? Trap game position, Maryland looked terrible the previous two weeks. Did either of you think that? Did anyone you talked to try to play it off as that? Was that any factor in this for anybody?
1: So Ryan Day was asked that question after the game, and obviously he's around this team every day and might have a, a better vibe on whether something was off there. And he didn't really go that go down that line, you know what I mean? Like uh, he wanted, and I think Maryland deserves some credit. I mean, listen, we all picked fairly lopsided results for this game based on the fact that Maryland had looked terrible the last two weeks, had not been able, like especially offensively, just not. Uh, very inept the last two weeks Uh, Talia Tagavailoa had been injured and was trying to come back from that. And all of that played into why we thought this might be uh, that maybe that the Maryland that we thought existed at the start of the year and could make this a proverbial trap game, maybe didn't exist anymore. And I think we found out that it does like that Maryland got some of that back today. And I give them credit for some of the things they were able to do against Ohio state. And I, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that they looked past this game. Because it's not that different of a scenario than it was a year ago at this time when they were up 49 to nothing on a top 10 Michigan State team. I'll go again. That team being a top 10 team, I guess, helped their focus in that game. So I I, I think it's just too easy to say they were looking past. I think it's more likely that uh, maybe Maryland was just able to do some things that they weren't expecting them to be able to do at this point and made this a tougher game.
2: Yeah, I don't think I don't think either Ohio State or Michigan looked past anybody today. I just thought Maryland and Illinois like did some good things and brought out some of the issues that both of those teams still have. And so I I thought it was like a a real football game. And again, it's a good point. It, this was the Maryland we thought was going to be the Maryland coming into this year, and then they were for part of that year, Stephen, and then they kind of weren't that. And it's like, oh no, they were that. So if they just there was a version of like, hey, nobody's looking past Maryland because they've got. Dante Dimas Jr., who I've loved for two years, and he got hurt last year. And then he kind of hasn't been the same guy this year, but you saw him make plays on the ball in the air on Saturday. Rakim Jarrett is a real dude who can make plays down the field. That's two real receivers. I thought coming into the year, they had the best pair of receivers in the Big Ten outside of Ohio State. And Talia Tongvailoa, like, I-, I think he's in it. The- he might be on his good day, Steven. I think he might be the second-best quarterback in the Big Ten when he plays at his best. So this version of this Maryland offense, if you knew, if you thought this was what you were getting, which I didn't think existed anymore, then, yeah, then you think they can put up 400 yards in Ohio State, which is what they did.
0: There is – I think I might have made it – somebody might have made an argument, either with me or you two, in the preseason this would be their biggest scare in terms of a team you're supposed to be that just hangs just because they've got enough talented guys here or there. It is the week before the Michigan game. We weren't really completely sure about the corners, and even coming into the season with all the health problems the corners had, man, these wide receivers might be able to do something against the secondary. And then things went a little astray for Maryland. Some of it's because Talia got hurt in the middle of all that. He was trying to work his way back from injury. And whether he's 85% or 65%, he was enough of a percentage today to have the type of impact that if somebody would have asked me, hey, Ohio State beat Maryland 43-30 to where it looked a little iffy for a little bit. I'd be like, okay, that's not that crazy given what they have. And so I agree. I don't think anybody was looking past anybody from an Ohio State standpoint, and I don't think the same thing happened with Michigan because there's context there with Blake Coram getting hurt in the middle of all that. So Illinois and Maryland are quality programs. They shouldn't – no, they're not talented enough to beat Michigan and Ohio State, but they're talented enough to make things interesting, and that's what both teams did today.
2: All right, so I did a confidence poll with our Ohio State Tech subscribers, 614-350-3315, if you want to get in for a two-week free trial before the Michigan game. And there's three parts that we want to talk about on this podcast. We want to talk about the Ohio State passing game, the Ohio State running game, and the Ohio State defense. But I do think, like, where are people right now? Because all the, like everything everything that happens, does it tell you something about the future? And so that's why what happens on Saturday matters. Is it telling us something about this Ohio State team going into the Michigan game? And I did ask this question. How confident are you about Ohio State heading into the Michigan game? So this is Ohio State fans their confidence level. And this is from I gave five options of confidence. Extremely confident is the most, very confident, just confident, that's the middle, then slightly confident or not very confident. I'm not going to make you guys guess the middle pick one. 37% confident. But I will tell you this, and Nathan, I I do find this interesting. The less confident votes, those two categories combined got 48%. The high confidence categories combined got 15%. So, extremely confident. There's no way Ohio State loses, only got 3%. And again, that's three to one, Nathan, on the less confident groups over the more confident groups. Is that? Should Ohio State fans be that concerned after this game Saturday?
1: Oh, I think they should have already been concerned. I mean, Michigan's one of the best teams in the country. Michigan
2: beat them no, a year I, ago. I know, but, but let's keep this about, like, what happened to Ohio State on Saturday, right? I mean, I think that's the thing that's affecting people. We know Michigan's good. I don't know that Michigan being good has changed it. But, like, Ohio State didn't blow out Maryland. Ohio State, like, almost lost to Maryland. Should that be like a, have a huge effect on how people view this team?
1: Yeah, Michigan almost also only beat Maryland by I think a touchdown at home earlier this season. Uh, so I, again, I, I, that's why it, it, that's part of the context here. I think that's important. Um, are did things happen today that were not the best version of Ohio State? Absolutely. That that you can you definitely would say that they gave up 293 yards in the air. They had some really dumb mistakes, including one that leads to a blocked PAT that gets returned for two points, uh, and. I don't think it was the best version of Ohio State today. Do I think that I saw things today that make it less likely to beat Michigan? I wouldn't go that far. Because I think that what you also saw today was a a team that has... Some of the things you saw today, especially from this defense, I know they gave up some long touchdown drives in the second half. They also stood up and made big stops in the second half and made big plays in the second half. And that all of that is part of what this team is at this point. And I, I, I still think that... Compared to where this team was a year ago, this
2: team is in much better position to beat Michigan on Saturday. Should confidence be leaking, Stephen? Because it it is. It's so there's like the Ohio State compared to Ohio State a year ago, but there's also like the Ohio State compared to the Ohio State of like I don't know last week when they ran for 340 yards against Indiana, right? I mean, was this was this a blow to the self esteem of anybody around Ohio State because they played a tight one?
0: No, I mean, the, the passing game is slipping, but not to a level where we need to sound the alarms. And I think had Illinois done this to Ohio State, yes, because in Illinois would have done it the same way that Michigan's going to try to do it, and that's running the ball. Uh, Maryland only had two, two, 2.7 yards per carry today, so it's not like they were gashing Ohio State down the field all game. And you know, Michigan doesn't necessarily I – I think Maryland might have better res- – Severs in Michigan. I, I think that's like the one spot where I would 100% would take Maryland with Dante Demas and Rakeem Jared. That pair is better than what Michigan's putting on the table right now. And I'm not all the way sure that Talia isn't better than J.J. McCarthy. He might be. And so that's not what Michigan... The way Maryland attacked Ohio State, Michigan's not going to do that same thing. And so you almost have to just throw out today and take it for what it was. Maryland, you know, put, us, put the fear of God in Ohio State for a little bit, but you take it at face value. When you throw out this film, you take what you can learn from it And you move forward because it's not going to be the same style of game as it's going to be next week. You almost learned more from Northwestern about, hey, can Ohio State's defense handle Michigan's offense than you did from Maryland?
2: So another survey question I asked the tech subscribers, what did the close Ohio State and Michigan wins tell us on Saturday? The choices were both teams are vulnerable and have a lot of questions entering next week. Neither team is vulnerable. They are good and they found ways to win. Mostly Michigan is vulnerable, mostly Ohio State is vulnerable. Again, I won't make you guess. Both teams, Nathan, both teams are vulnerable, got 63%. Neither team vulnerable, 18%, mostly Michigan, 14 mostly Michigan, 5%. Do you th- two-thirds Do basically saying both teams are vulnerable. Does that sound right to you based on what happened on Saturday and also the known strengths and weaknesses of Ohio State and Michigan?
1: It certainly makes sense as a, a response just because those were both games that, that came down to it. I mean, Michigan having to kick a field goal more, more or less with time expiring. I mean, nine seconds left. And if, if if Ohio State and Michigan had both come in and just cleaned the clock of the two teams that they were playing, that would obviously raise confidence. It obviously doesn't mean anything because we saw last year Ohio State score 49 points in the first half against the top 10 Michigan State team and end up losing at Michigan. And that's where what Stephen was getting at is that – the matchups are so different that they're each of these teams is going to face next week. And you wrote about this after the game, right? Doug, that like l- these teams were facing versions of themselves in some ways in this game, a lesser version of themselves, like poor man's versions of themselves. I think you used like many versions of themselves, which is like, they weren't like smaller. I mean, some positions they're smaller, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like they were facing they like,
2: that's to like, be fair. They, weren't, men. they weren't too they tall. Teams.
1: Right. Uh, But but just like like poor man's versions of Ohio State and Michigan. But but next week, Ohio State's going to face the real version of Michigan, and Michigan's going to face the real version of Ohio State. Very different than what they saw this week. And that's sort of a little bit what what I think undid Ohio State last year was – that the the matchup that they got from Michigan was vastly different than the matchup that they got from Michigan state, uh, especially defensively. There was just nothing Michigan state could do. So what does Ohio state do now in this next week, not to correct the things that went wrong today, but to correct the things that they need to correct to beat Michigan, that matchup's the one that's going to matter.
2: Steven, do you agree? Both vulnerable. It's, 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 it's weird, right? Because there's only four undefeated teams. It's it's Ohio State, Michigan, TCU, and Georgia. Georgia won sixteen to six against Kentucky. TCU won on a last-second field goal to barely stay undefeated. It, it's sometimes I do think when you don't lose, then you take like the close wins almost count against you more because you don't have an yeah. actual loss to point to. So here we are. They're they're two of the four undefeated teams in the country, and it's like oh man. They almost lost. like, yeah, well, they didn't. They did win, actually, against two pretty decent teams. Illinois, Alabama's playing Austin P on Saturday, right? I mean, like, this is this was like a mm-hmm. real game for both these teams. But I, I think the thing that happened, Stephen, it's the thing I was trying to write about after the game is, I think the worries that you might have had about both teams are kind of the things that got reinforced in some ways. Again, it's not – It's not the crossover, but it's like, all right, well, Michigan's a run-first team. Oh, man, what if, like, Coram's hurt or isn't himself or they can't run it? Well, that's a problem. Oh, Ohio State's had running game problems the whole year. What if they can't throw it the way I want to? Oh, that could be a problem. I I do think there were things that kind of have been percolating that kind of came to the fore again on Saturday, which might lead to two-thirds of the people thinking both these teams are vulnerable.
0: If you think the team that they're playing can actually exploit it, Right, because some of the Michigan stuff is is Blake Corm going to be available. Because if he's available, cares if J.J. McCarthy can't throw the ball, they're going to run. They're going to try to run. They're going to try to run. They're going to try to run. And then if it gets to a point where they have to throw it, okay, we'll get there when we get there. While with Ohio State, they says this a lot. It's personnel, it's coaching, and it's scheme. And it's been more personnel than scheme and coaching the last couple of weeks here. And some of that just might be because the guys that they want to run the ball aren't healthy. It's very obvious that Trayvon Henderson is not 100% when he's running the ball. Regardless of the decisions he's making, he doesn't look healthy. Mayim Williams seems to be dealing with something new every other week. And so that got fixed simply by putting the healthy running back Dallas Hayden, who's proven he can make some of those cuts into the game. And so that got nipped into the bud. I think Ohio State's bigger issue, is, we've come back around to this, is cornerback play. And how sometimes they can give up the explosive play, and it feels like the play on the ball is not always being made. But that, once again, goes back to the is Michigan going to exploit that? Because if not, then it really doesn't matter that that's their issue. Just like with Ohio State, with Michigan, it's can anybody really stop Blake Corm from running from 170 yards? No? Then, okay, what are we talking about here? And so it's it's hard. I get it that the, the – I, I'm going to say JV. The JB versions of Ohio State and Michigan exploited some of the issues they have today, but it might not matter s-
2: seven days from now. All right. Just as a, as a for people who are listening, which is everybody who's hearing this, because if you're not listening, you wouldn't hear this. Jim Harbaugh, after the game, did say about Blake bla- Clorum, structurally, his knee is good, and he mm. said that's a good sign. They did bring him back in after he got hurt in the first half and went up the tunnel. They brought him back in for one play in the third quarter, and then Harbaugh said it was bothering him. He communicated with us, how does it feel? And then they had other guys ready to go. So, um, like, he he tried to play in the second half, took one carry, and then didn't play anymore. So he was walking under his own power. Structurally good is a very good sign, but, like, it kind of couldn't go in the second half. So Harbaugh said, like, you know, right after the game was not able to say either way, whether or not Blake Corm is going to play against Ohio state next week. And obviously that's a huge issue. So let's get to the Ohio state run game. Then this is the question, Stephen, that I asked Ohio state tech subscribers. If everyone is healthy, who should be the lead back for Ohio state next week? Now that's a big if, first of all, and we'll, we'll talk about that, but let's play the if game. Trevion Henderson, Dallin Hayden, Mayan Williams, Steven, who do you think won the poll of if They're all healthy. Who should be the lead back? I think people would vote for Dallin Hayden just because of what he did today. You think Dallin won? Nathan, who do you think won? Yes,
1: I think Dallin won.
2: 62% Mayan Williams, 29% Dallin Hayden, 9% Travion Henderson. I might have voted for Dallin Hayden, though. I don't know. Travion has a tendency to bounce. Mayan also bounces stuff outside sometimes. Dallin Hayden, like, never bounce, <laughs> never bounced anything outside. He takes the inside hole. He takes the he takes the hole that you're supposed to hit inside, which often is not as apparent right away, but is there if you hit it. It's almost like the things that he doesn't know, right? He doesn't know too much. He doesn't try, he just takes what's there. He does what he's supposed to do. Maybe he's he's not confident enough to try to do stuff on his own because he's he hasn't shown it. He hasn't learned it. He's He's new to this. Nathan said he just got here in the summer. He's not even a guy who was here in the spring. I don't know, man. I like the offense changed, Nathan. Clearly, anybody watching this know this knows this. The offense changed in the second half when Dallin Hayden was in the game. So let's let's lay some groundwork, first of all, for this discussion before we have it entirely. What did Ryan Day say about the way they handled? Dallin Hayden and Trevion Henderson in this game, and what did Ryan Day say about the possibility of Mayan Williams being healthy to play next week?
1: So early on in his post-game press conference, Ryan Day said about going with Dallin Hayden in the second half and how he really kind of just you know got the offense going. And so I made sure to clarify. So you're saying that Trevion Henderson's injury didn't play a role? He said no. That Henderson clearly was banged up, as as Stephen was saying, and they decided that it was better to just shut him down and roll with Hayden at that point. So that injury, that foot injury, toe, whatever it is with that left foot, for sure. um, It was a factor in why they went completely away from Trevon Henderson. I think he did come in for like one play in the second half. Then he for like a third down play, maybe. Yeah. So he was on the field again, but clearly Dallin Hayden was a guy they wanted to run the ball. And, Mayan Williams, the way that uh, Day characterized it was he hopes – the hope is he can play against Michigan and that it is – this is a a paraphrase. It's trending in that direction. They are trending towards him being able to play. So that would obviously be just the one-week absence this week. He did not make the trip here and missed the second half last week but could be back on the field for the Michigan
2: game. There's a part of me that likes Mayan Williams as the number two back in a game more than I like him as the number one back. Same. And I don't know if that makes sense then to say, oh, well, let's start the freshman. He's fine. He's a freshman. He'll be fine. But I don't. I don't know. I, Stephen, I could maybe vote for a world where it's like, all right, Dallin Hayden takes the first two series, and then Mayan Williams comes in in the third series and trucks people, and like that's your version. Just tell Dallin Hayden hold on to the ball. Let your eyes take you where you're supposed to go. Just don't try to do too much. It's cool. And then Mayan Williams is going to come over and 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 stick his knee in the throats of safeties. And if you told me, Stephen, that they have 35 t- tailback carries next week, I think I might vote 20 for Dallin Hayden and 15 for Mayan Williams. At, like, that's everybody fully healthy. I don't know, man. Stephen, what's your 35-carry breakdown for the tailbacks, assuming decent health for everyone involved
0: i don't hate that i think i might go 15 and 15. trey's got to play because he does bring an element to the table that the i mean we saw it today the opening drive that him and coming out of the backfield as a receiver he brings that to the table in a way that those two don't so if you want to bring that if you want to bring that element into play that I'm not, that's where you, maybe there's his five, there's his touches. It doesn't always have to be carrying the ball, but you, getting Travion in space is still magical. It's just him reading a line of scrimmage and hitting a hole is where he still needs to develop. But him out in space, he's the best of the three. Everything else I agree with, especially the part about Mayan being the number two. And it's not because he's bad. It's not because I don't think he can be a starter. It's because he's not a short yardage guy. He's not really a power back, but he is violent. And there is something, too, when you run like that, when you come in on a third series after a line's been through some stuff and been fighting through some stuff and they're not completely fresh, and then you throw that at a defensive line. That's when he is most dangerous as a runner. So if he's, it's never really the first two or three or four runs that mine gets you. It's run seven, eight, and nine when he's gotten a chance to really work on a defensive line is when you see him start working like a bowling ball. Wow. I don't think this offense needs the home run hitting running back as much with the way this passing game works. They need a running back that's going to keep you on schedule and keep hitting. They say it the singles thing all the time. They need someone to just get on base and the passing game will bring you home and get the RBI. Dallin Hayden does the best job because he never bounces outside. He always hits the hole of keeping this team on schedule. So it's second and six third and two. And that's what we saw in the second half against Maryland. He wasn't breaking 45 yard runs or, you know, trucking people. He just took what was there. He took what was there. He took what was there and it started building on itself. And I think that's the type of running back that fits this personnel the best. So I agree. I think Dallin Hayden should be a starting running back, but it also makes me really wish we could have saw Evan Pryor because I think he might be the same style.
1: But all, all three of these running backs have their strengths and weaknesses at this stage. But the problem is that you can't put Trevion Henderson on the field right now because of what he can do in space and then wait for that one opportunity to use him in space while he is getting plugged up the way he was every time he tried to carry the ball today. You had this an offense that was behind the sticks so much. And frankly, uh, you know, Mike Williams looked really strong against Indiana Um, But there's been other times this season, as Doug said, where he has had some of those same issues. And I think at this stage, I mean, I know that Ryan Day is is sometimes very paranoid about uh, the, the ball control situation. But you just gave Dallin Hayden a pretty great audition. I mean, he carried the ball, I think, 26 times just in the second half of this game. Like You put this game on his shoulders and his feet and his, his trunk and his hands and, and, and carrying and keeping because they were, at any point in the second half, they were one fumble away from this all falling apart. And he, he was reliable. He did the job. And I think I would agree that I at this stage, based on what I've seen and what we know about health, because here's the other problem with the health thing. That may be a factor in why Trevor Henderson is running the way he is. It may have been a factor at times in the way Mayan Williams ran the ball the way he has. We, I have not been a Big Ten running back. Uh, it's it's political. I don't like to talk about it. But uh, if I had been, I would think that my, my feet being hurt would be a factor in how I performed on the field. So those guys have been trying to get through this at less than 100% for several weeks now. That's not new to anybody. But if Dallin Hayden is both your healthiest guy and listen, there's also this like old saying in sports about how like sometimes young guys are, are too, they're like too young to get scared, too young to like know how big the moment is. Dallin Hayden might be in kind of that position right now. Cause when he was, we were talking to him after the game and like, you know, that approach that you take where you're hitting that inside cut that Trevin Henderson like did not take one time. And it seemed like Dallin Hayden was taking it on like almost every carry, like, how do you like what made how did you do that? And he's like, you know, they show it to us on film. They say that hole's going to be there. And, you know, what did Ryan Day and, and the other coaches and the guys on the sidelines say to you before you went in? They said, go in and trust what you see and just follow what you've been taught. And that was what he did. So if 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 it's that simple, because the, as Steven says, like the running game doesn't have to production from the run game, big production from the run game doesn't have to carry this offense. It just has to help this offense flow and stay on schedule and and get its rhythm, and it didn't have that for half of this game. And they put Dallin Hayden in, and it did. So if he's the guy that gets you in rhythm, then roll with it, because you're still going to win this game with what C.J. Stroud and these receivers do.
2: It feels like all year we've sort of been acknowledging that the run game stuff is like they're trying to figure it out, right? We've I think we've we've questioned them tried to hold them to account. We've tried to acknowledge when they're doing it well. But it's all been under the guise of, okay, well, they're trying to figure out and work out what they're going to do against Michigan. And I think maybe in game 11, they figured it out. And it's that the freshman is your best shot. And it took this long, and you got here weird. And it is not giving up. Or criticizing the other two backs. Because I think, Nathan, you make a very good point. They're very likely, because these are both guys, Mayan and Trey, who have missed full games this year with injuries. That almost certainly is a very real part of their entire story of this entire season. But here we are. Like, this is where we are. It it almost doesn't matter the, the, the what. It's just like, who's producing? And... We acknowledge that maybe you're not yourself, maybe you're injured, but Ohio State against Michigan has to put a guy on the field who's going to hit the hole and keep them on schedule, as you said, Stephen. And, like, that's it. That is the only thing. And I just – Stephen, looking at this, I just would have a hard time – they're not going to give up on Mayan. If Mayan's ready to go, Mayan's going to play. Mayan clearly will be part of the game plan. But I even think within that, right, I think order of explosiveness, Trey, Mayan, Dallin. Order of – of do your job, hit the inside hole, probably Dallin, Mayan Trey. And yeah. so is Dallin Hayden gonna hit a hole and run over a linebacker and run away from people for a touchdown like Mayan Williams did against Northwestern? No. Is he gonna take a screen to the house like Trey did against Maryland? No. But who's the guy who's gonna get there was a I think it was a second and five run in the second half when there was nothing there and he just got four yards to set up a third and one and it was like who's going to do that? And I'm I think and I think that, Stephen, there's not much of a hole and you just got to get something. I think the freshman tops the list and I think that's the number one thing they want as you said. So that's why I think it's going to be him. Everybody can't
0: be I'm going to be explosive and get a 50 yard playoff. Somebody out there has got to be the just do It'd be great. It's always great to have a running back where a play is designed for four and he gets eight. That's always great. Everybody wants that. But at least get the four it's designed for. And no matter what – it's it's almost – Mayan and Trey have higher ceilings than Dallin Hayden do right now and what they can do when you give them the ball on any specific down. Dallin has a higher floor than both of those guys. And I there probably is something to the – he's a young freshman who don't know better. He don't even know he don't know, as some coaches like to say. But some of that is, as he talked about it, I got a chance to talk to him over the side about it on, on Wednesday night after practice. He comes from a professional football player's household. So he understands how to hit holes. He understands these cutback lanes. He understands the this is designed for four yards, so at bare minimum, I better get four yards. He's been doing this his entire life, so you can just throw him in there, and this is what you get, 27 carries for 146 yards. Now, he might not go 30 carries, 150 yards every week, but if you give him 18 carries – and those 18 carries are designed for the day to get him 95 yards, I'd bet money he gets 95 yards. He might not get 125, but he'll at least get those 95 yards, which is all this offense needs when you combine that with sometimes they're going to hand it off to a receiver. you know, The, the bubble screens, the RPOs, and then Marvin Harrison Jr. has apparently just throw it up to him and he'll catch anything.
2: Nathan, who leads Ohio State in carries? Number of carries against Michigan. If all three are healthy. Um, we're just we're, you gotta you're you're betting you're you're put your cash in your your bet slip who are you betting on we don't know what like the world we're living uh, in right now i bet
1: it's mayan williams
2: steven who has more carry who has the most carries next week dallin and i think it might look similar this week
0: where yeah whoever the starter is isn't looking all too great and i i it might not even take him to halftime because that's the Michigan game and they're not gonna play around with it. If it looks weird in the first half first quarter and Dallin's getting it done, they nip it in the butt to give him the ball. And I think that might play out again.
2: I think it's Dallin and I don't think Dallin requires people to be hurt anymore to play. I think Correct. Dallin Hayden is now a primary part of the run game attack, and he is in the mix regardless. But he might be in the mix a lot more if somebody else is, A, not getting it done, or B, they're, the injury bug is is lingering for them. But I, I think at this point, it, it would not require somebody else's lack of production to get Dallin Hayden in the game. I think Ryan Day will have a plan for Dallin Hayden in the first half, and, and I think he will take the opportunity. So my bet is Dallin Hayden leads them and carries next week. That This is a, a smidge, a little smidge on the run game, Nathan, CJ Stroud called runs. We out. We good. Like he had a nice scramble. Like I had nice uh, scrambles are different. If if everybody plays man and runs away from you and there's a whole side of the field open, any quarterback has to take that sometimes. We get that. And that is part of the conversation. But he kept it on a on a zone read and went outside today. And I was like, I'm done. Like, are we are we good on yeah. it or do we want a little bit of a mix of that?
1: Yeah, again, and I don't know that that was ever really the conversation here. I think the conversation was, is he even running enough on those scramble situations that you're talking about? And I think that that, there were defenses that were not respecting that he would even do that. And I think if he can just make defenses respect that he'll do that, it changes how people have to defend Ohio State. So he is doing that a little bit more, and I think that's all he has to do. I I agree with you that uh, now – the one thing I will say in defense of them trying it is nothing else was working with the run game at that point. No, true.
2: But also not that was, uh, that was another thing that added to the list of things that weren't working. Listen, the hard thing Stephen, yes. is one of the plays of the season was the fourth and one keeper against Northwestern that CJ kept it and, and right. it had all day to run. But I think that was like a one-time thing. And as you said, the wind made them use it early. It's like, maybe they wanted to say that for Michigan, but they used it and now they've shown it. And I don't think it's going to work anymore.
0: First of all, I'm shocked it worked the one time, but that's another (laughs) situation.
2: I don't think this pod was ever in on the CJ Strong. Even when it
0: happened, we were all like, oh no, why are they doing this? I'm just going to mark it down. Remember when Dwayne Haskins kept it (laughs) in the first play in 2018? I'm just going to mark it down right now. CJ's going to keep it at some point next Saturday. Just to prove a point. Just to prove a point, I'm tough and I wanted to do it.
2: That's the thing. There has been a lot of. There's been a lot of point-proving or attempted point-proving yes. by Ohio, Ohio State this year for good and for bad, and point-proven time is over. Now it's you've yes. proven all your points or you haven't proven them, and you're not going to prove it's too late, and now let's go beat a good team time. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Ohio State passing game next on Buckeye Talk. Doug, Nathan, and Steven, the plan is to give you a pod every day this week. And I know it's Thanksgiving week, but that's the plan. We don't normally do a Tuesday pod. We'll have one. So the plan is um, we're dropping this to you like late Saturday night slash Sunday. So that's a pod. Then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That is the plan this week with Buckeye Talk. We appreciate you guys being here with us. Nathan, this has been a team that has to throw to win. They have, at times, faced some teams with some good DBs where it hasn't been all that easy to throw. And Saturday was one of those games, and Ryan Day, after the game, did say, like, hey, they got some good cover guys, which is fair and real. But also, well, if you're the best passing offense in the country, I don't, I don't know, you know, like, that shouldn't be the end of the discussion. For C.J. Stroud to be 18 of 30 for 241, and this is a little off-kilter, and I think this, is, this has to be part of the conversation we're going to have. Targets. Emeka Buka 11, Marvin Harrison Jr. 10, everybody else combined 9. So is that okay, Nathan? That distribution to your two top receivers – That's how it's going to go against Michigan or do they have to be more diversified with that? It was very exciting to see him throw a screen to Trayvon Henderson for a touchdown. Trayvon Henderson coming into this game had negative receiving yards for the year. So congratulations to them getting him into the positive receiving territory. We have seen Cade Stover obviously be a threat multiple times this year. That's, that's going to be there. I don't know, man. Like this is a great passing attack, but it, it didn't dominate, right? It didn't, dominate Saturday against Maryland, and, and maybe you, you would have liked to see a dominant passing attack.
1: I still just think it's hard, even for Ohio State's passing attack, to dominate a decent team when uh, the running game is putting them behind the sticks so consistently, and I, I think that was an issue in what you saw early from this passing game. And a couple of things you point out, like that Tremaine Henderson throwback screen that they hit on was something that they had been wanting to incorporate for a while, but they needed Trevin Henderson to get healthy. Like we have known like just from from things that we've known, like we knew that they wanted that They, they, they were aware of that and that that was something that they needed to use more, but he hasn't played the last two weeks. And now this was their first chance, first chance they had to do it. They did it again tonight. So, then he ran into all the other problems he was running into. Uh, I, I think there's also, I would give some credit to what to what Maryland was doing defensively in this game. But again, when you're behind the sticks and now it's you're in a lot of third and longs, then I have to go back and like compare this game to other games to see if it, there was just a bigger abundance of second and longs, third and longs than there were compared to some other games this year. But it seemed like it. And that's where teams can bring pressure. There were definitely some situations today where they flushed CJ Stroud out. They made him have to make decisions on the run and we could follow back and watch a play and say like, Oh, he had this guy, but like, but maybe didn't see him. Cause there was a guy coming in his face. Like there were guys open, but the way that, the play was unfolding. He may just not have been able to see them or may not have trusted that he knew where the, the safety that was over the top of that play was and didn't want to risk the interception like Maryland, because of the the way this game flowed was able to use that to their advantage. They leveraged some things and, and made it tougher for him on later downs. But I also yeah. want to say real quick to answer your other question. I don't really care about the target distribution that much. And this team in 2020 went to a national championship following its two best receivers with the, fast multitude of the targets. Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best receiver on this team and maybe the best receiver in the country. And I don't think it's a problem that you're trying to get him the ball as much as you can. I don't really feel like they're necessarily forcing it to him. And if uh, some of these other guys want to get the ball more, I think they need to get open more. I think C.J. Stroud will throw the ball to them if they're open. I don't think we look at this team and see wide open guys who aren't getting the ball because C.J.
2: Stroud is throwing the other guys.
0: Nathan stole half my point.
1: That was going to be. Yeah,
2: good. I don't. You're you're good with the distribution, Stephen.
0: I'm good with it. A couple, of, some of the things we have to remember: CJ Stroud's throwing ten less passes per game than he was last year, so that's why it felt like everybody was getting ten targets a game. He he averaged thirty six point eight last year. He's at twenty seven point nine after today, which is and some of that is the running game has been better, the defense has been better, so they have to throw it less. But also, there's actually just more people getting involved. Last year, it was just the three receivers get targets, nobody else. I don't care that we have Jeremy Rucker. Cade Stover being more of, a, more of a weapon here, that takes away from Julian Fleming because that's four for 50 right there with those two combined. Dow Hayden had two catches, and Trayvon Henderson finally gets involved. Last year, that would just would have been Chris, Garrett, and Jackson, and so every person would have had five, six, or seven catches and 85-plus yards, and that's not how it works this year. I agree with Nathan. Julian Fleming's not getting open. Uh Emeka Ibuka is not really getting open the same way. And he's both of those guys have been slipping. Marvin Harrison Jr. might be the best wide receiver in the country. I don't mind. As long as the order with targets starts with Marvin Harrison Jr. is number one, I don't really care who's number two right now. Whoever is producing that week should be number two.
2: All right. So I do want to add a little context to this. And, and I do think this is real. All right. So in the first half, Ohio State had – Make sure I get this right. Five possessions, and they had three punts, a field goal, and a touchdown in the first half, and they're trailing 13-10 at the break. In the second half, Ohio State had six possessions, scored three touchdowns, two field goals, and then the only time they didn't score, they were stopped on downs on the fourth and one pass that uh, they liked the look and didn't complete it to Marvin Harrison Jr., right? Because CJ, right? That was the one CJ got some pressure and had to wait and then kind of like maybe looked like Marvin was going to catch it and went through his arms. Is that the one? That was fourth and one, right? Is that the fourth and one? Yeah. Yep. So I do think – and Ryan Day brought this up and again, like we don't like it when they give excuses. I do think the second drive when they ended up punting, that's when they had uh, the delay of game on first down and then a loss of one on the first carry and then a false start. And so all of a sudden they were in second and 21 and then CJ Stroud threw through two incompletions. And then the next drive, they CJ and Trey like fumbled the handoff. Remember that on the read play yep. and Trey had to fall on it. So that's a loss of five. And then they got another false start. It's not second and 20 and they, and then Trey runs and then CJ scrambles on third down. So that's, that's their two early punts are jacked up drives. Now, it's You can't have those penalties, and Ryan Day was like, we can't have those penalties, and you can't fumble a handoff in, in game 11 between your veteran quarterback and your veteran running back. Like, you can't do that stuff, right? But, Steven, it was a slow start, which leads to them being down 13-10. It wasn't just, like, offensive failure with it, like, oh, they can't throw. Oh, like, there was some stuff that got them off track, which is a problem, but when you look at 18 for 30 for 241 and you think, I don't I don't know, you know, like when it was time to win, they scored in the second half when it was time to win. Right. And that's partly because Dallin Hayden got going. I do think maybe it looks worse statistically passing than it was when you take in the context of the flow of the game and how things went. He's not
0: living at 75 percent like he was last year, but it's almost like a stat. What is CJ Stroud? What are his numbers in winning time? Because you could have just plopped that whole sentence you just put into the Penn State game, where it was like kind of weird, and all of a sudden nine twenty six on the clock, and Ohio State's offense takes the field, and he turns into paid Manning with the, how efficient he was running that offense, and you know hitting guys on the money with throws, and so that's almost a better way to look at CJ Stroud. But then also, yeah, you when you get behind the sticks because of penalties, you know, false start penalties, and you know. Uh, delay of game penalties, all that extra stuff that's not even football stuff. Well, it's football stuff, but it's not somebody making a bad play. It's just boneheaded mistakes. That played into why they were off schedule some of those times. And then I don't think the pass protection was great. I understand, you know, they didn't give up. I don't think they gave up any sacks. I don't believe, I'm not looking at the stats right now, but Harris wow. Johnson wasn't great. Dewan Jones wasn't great. They weren't great in pass pro today the way that they have been for most of the season. So all that stuff plays into it. 18 for 30 is not a bad day. It's just we're used to seeing CJ Stroud be at 74, 73%, and that wasn't the case.
2: Talking about pass protection very quickly Matthew Jones, right guard. What do we know? What do we think it might mean for next week?
1: So we know he was in a, uh, his foot, his right foot was all wrapped up in, in ice after the game. He was on walking with crutches. Looked like Quinn Temple, um, one of the uh, assistants, was walking with one of the walking boots, the protective boots that we assume was probably his. Ryan Day could only say after the game that he got rolled up on on that play, which we could see on the replay, but that did not have an update on his status. Vamahi came in and played in his absence. That has been the guy who earlier this year, when Matt Jones was having a foot issue, had come in and played in short stretches. Uh, I know Josh Fryer started last week in place of Dewan Jones, did well, uh, has had some experience at guard as well. But Vamahi is the guy that is a guard and has, has been the guy that they relied on at that position. So my assumption is if Jones can't go, that is probably Vamahi's job against Michigan.
2: How big of a deal, Steven, do we think that would be if Matthew Jones could not go?
0: If... On a scale of one to ten, I think I might put it at a six because I I think I said this to Nathan during the game. It's probably going to be Vamahi today, but long term, if he can't go, it'd probably be Fryer because we asked Fryer that could he is he only he's only been repping at tackle, but he can play both inside and outside. And I mean, Josh Pryor plopped in there for DeWan Jones last week and. There at times where the running game looked even better, and it, it, they didn't, you know, they didn't lose any ground with Josh Fryer in there, and so it, it, it didn't look bad when Ianukvamahi came in there for for Matthew Jones today either. So I don't, it's not panic mode. Of the five offensive linemen, they're playing their best five, but I think if we had to rank who's the best one to who's number five, Matthew Jones is probably number five on that list, and I don't think it's that big of a gap between him and Enoch Vamahi and Josh Fryer, at least given the way that they played the last two weeks, that anybody should be worried long-term that Ohio State's offensive line is in trouble.
2: Yeah, I, I really do think maybe if if they had a whole week to prep, maybe it would be Fryer uh, next week for Michigan. So we'll keep an eye out on that. We'll we'll keep asking about that. Um, I I do think a lot of the stuff that got them off schedule contributed to it. And again, they were, they were throwing on some, on some third and fourth and shorts late. Uh, I think, have kind of thought that the whole year that that's the place that they would get to. They all, you know, Dallin Hayden also converted a couple third and shorts. But I, I do think they're gonna th- when it's win time. I, I really think they might wind up throwing on those short yardage things. So okay, we got to get to the other side of the ball. They're gonna kick us out of this stadium soon. When we come back, we'll talk about the Ohio State Ohio State defense. Next on Buckeye Talk. All right, we're back to talk about the defense. I, I don't know. I, it, I I think we're, we've all made the point, and we're very aware of the fact that the way Michigan plays offense and the way Maryland plays offense are, are very different things. But the fact, Nathan, that you know when it was winning time, the Ohio State defense gave up two long seventy-plus yard drives late in the game for Maryland to stay in it. I didn't think was a great sign on Saturday. There are some extenuating circumstances, but sort of in the general vibe of, hey. Are you a championship defense? Can you get stops when your team needs you to get stops? You know, they, they certainly did get a three and out at the end. And then, of course, they got the late touchdown when Michigan, when Maryland was desperate. But I thought there were some vulnerabilities there with the defense. Where do you think people should be with the Ohio State defense right now, Nathan?
1: I mean, obviously, the question since the end of last season was whether they were going to fix the defense, both in leadership and personnel, in, in, in scheme and skill. Were they going to have the defense that would beat Michigan the next time they were on the field with them? And I, that question was never going to get answered until they actually played Michigan in a lot of ways, because they haven't faced a team all season that can do what Michigan does and is what Michigan is. Uh, I understand where you're coming from on some of the the shortcomings today. I do. We didn't get a chance to ask Ryan Day or I mean, it didn't come up. Um, and we'll talk to Jim Knowles about this, I'm sure, on Tuesday about What was going on with the cornerback rotation today? Because this was supposed to be and was at the start of this game the first time all year that the clear top three running back or cornerbacks, Denzel Burke, who didn't play last week and was healthy and played again tonight, Cam Brown, who had a good week back last week, his first game back, and Jordan Hancock, that all three of those guys were going to be healthy and on the field together tonight. And that's how this game started. And they were rotating, uh, I think they rotated Hancock in for Brown at first. And there seemed to be something going on there. And then late, Jair Brown was playing a lot of snaps in this game. And Brown was warming up with the twos ahead of even J.K. Johnson uh, before this game. But that was still just surprising to me that as good as Brown has looked relative to just being a true freshman at times that you had this opportunity in a must-win game, and that was the guy that you needed on the field at that point. So what led into that, um, and and is that where Ohio State's quarterback situation is going to be against Michigan? Because I think that alone leaves them a little vulnerable if they don't have their top three guys healthy and in position to make plays in a game that important.
2: Is it, is it just that the matchup is so different, Steven? And it's like, all right, well, Michigan doesn't have Rakim Jarrett and doesn't have Dante Demas. And, you know, a couple of things that Ohio State gave up were, you know, uh, Tanner McAllister got beat by Jarrett out of the slot on like a ball that, that Tonga Miloa dropped in the bucket. Demas made a play on a 50 50 ball in the air where again I just think that guy at his best is is really really good you know Cam Brown then came back on another 50-50 ball knocked it away right 50-50 sometimes you win sometimes you lose is it just that like Michigan doesn't have those guys so the corner discussion that we've had with Ohio State has been ongoing but it is not going to be front and center against Michigan so don't worry about it too much
0: I don't want to go that far but I'm treading in that direction because every team is liable to you know for a shot Every so often, and we've seen you know, this, these defensive backs give up a few big plays in the passing game, even if it is just one or two a game. Those forty-yard bombs, and JJ—he's not—he's not the best thrower down the field, but he can throw it down the field every so often. We saw that in last year's Ohio State Michigan game. I think for the first half, we saw what the rotation was going to be like. And it was a three-man rotation. It was Cameron Brown and Denzel Burke starting with Jordan Hancock working in. And and I I think I even mentioned, I was like, well, maybe today we're going to see that two-on, one-off kind of rotation with three guys through two spots. And I think some of this just might be – I don't think Ohio State was expecting this game to be this competitive. And so you thought that you could – They use pitch count a lot, but Jordan Hancock was hurt the first half of the season. Cameron Brown has been in and out. Denzel Burke has been in and out. And if they were in any way limited, maybe you thought have them go heavy in the first half and then let's get Jair Brown out there. The problem is the game ended up being a lot closer. And so now you've got Jair Brown out there in situations that true freshman cornerbacks shouldn't be out there in, and it, it leads to a couple of big plays. But I think in the first half, at least, we saw what this rotation is going to look like against Michigan and in the playoffs going forward. But, yes, I do think we've come back around to are these cornerbacks as bad as they've been at some times, or are they going to be the thing that keeps Ohio State from accomplishing some of the things it wants to accomplish?
2: You know, listen, Marty Bell's a really good receiver, right? I mean, he was out for Michigan all last year. He's their leading receiver. He's he's a smaller veteran guy, right? He's not going to kill you physically. Same with Roman Wilson. Their big guy's Cornelius Johnson. He's 6'3". He might go up and make some plays on the ball. They're going to throw the ball to running backs. They're going to throw the ball to tight ends. It's going to be a varied attack. But, again, Nathan, we're all sitting watching Illinois-Michigan in the press box on Saturday, and Michigan gets down to scoring time in the red zone, and – JJ McCarthy hits a back in the hands with the pass and he drops it. And then there's a guy, they run a good play and get somebody open, and JJ McCarthy misses him by five yards. It's like, okay, this is not what they do best. Now, against Illinois, Michigan did up with more end up with more passing yards than rushing yards because once Quorum was out, that changes their game. And Donovan Edwards, the number two back, is really good, was also out, right? So they were they're handing the ball off to their third string guy. They're a bet they have a better pass catching group than they did a year ago but it's not as good as Maryland I don't think anybody have it as good as Parker Washington who went nuts for Penn State right I, I it's not the best group they've seen but it's okay and it it's better than what Michigan had a year ago but but generally I don't know I'm I'm in a tough spot because I I understand how different it is I just kind of thought Ohio State should have gotten a stop sooner than it did right and I know but the bottom line is also I do think when it's when the chips are down late, their pass rush, their four-man pass rush days, and it feels like they have come up big in multiple games this year when it's like, okay, well, they've given this up and they've given that up, but here it is, and then it's like, what happens? It's like, oh, Zach Harrison or JT Molowau or Jack Sawyer or somebody gets a pressure on first and second down, and all of a sudden the team's in third and 16, and it's like, oh, this is not a threat at all. So I, I do think it's reasonable to think that they will be able to rely on that pass rush when it matters.
1: I do too. It's just that also now maybe I'm contradicting myself. Like uh, this may be the toughest test that group has faced all year. This might be the best offensive line in of Ohio State. I think it is, right? Like who else? Michigan. I don't got think the there's any doubt about State, that. But. So right. So all those things that we've seen this defensive line do in crucial spots is going to be harder than ever to do. I think the best way to say it, and I, I'm not trying to cop out here. I'm not trying to not. Analyze the situation. We've seen Ohio State's defense prove that it can control games, that it can be the reason why Ohio State wins games. Like Lathan Ransom before the punt block today, came in and made like back-to-back big tackles, big stops to force the punt and then block the punt. It was kind of like one of those J.T. Tuimalo series where you're just like doing everything you possibly can. And like we've seen multiple guys. Like this defense has stars now. This defense more than anything, trusts itself. I've come back to this a couple times, but like the Steel Chambers quote earlier this week about how every year, every time last year they were third and 10, they were still just sort of like hoping and praying that they would somehow get off the field. And now they look at every time they step on the field, it should be a three and out. Like the confidence at this team has and the connection of the confidence from the players to the coaches back and forth, the connection of trust that there exists with the players on the field at any given time, that much like with the offense, where I think we've talked before about how the offense can sometimes get clunky for a while, but they always think they're going to figure it out. And I think they have that confidence on defense now, and they did not have it last year, last year, the players, as much as when we would watch games and see things repeatedly happening. The players felt that as much or more than we did watching those games because they're living it. And they knew that the calls coming in from the sideline were not the answer often enough. And I, they don't feel that way this year. Now they feel like they're getting the answers that they need They know it's not going to work every single play all game against good teams, but I think they know they'll have the ultimate answer. So at the end of the day, all you can hope, I think, as an Ohio State fan is what you've seen, that they put a guy in charge of this defense that that, uh, came in with a philosophy and a way to teach it, that the assistants have taught it pretty well to this point, and that you guys – multiple guys all over this field have demonstrated – that they're reliable and can do this job. I think the big question I still have, though, is that when you're playing a team this good, and an offensive line that's going to maybe prevent some of those things that we've seen from this defensive front, are you still so vulnerable at cornerback that a team like Michigan's going to be able to take advantage
2: of it? We have often, and Stephen, you're always talking about, right? Scheme, personnel, coaching. Part of the issue with the defense last year, we were like, where are the stars? Where are the stars? Where are the stars? I do think, and I don't want to put it in a national context because I'm not going to pretend that I know all the best guys in the country, especially against the run, I think it would be fair to call Tommy Eichenberg and Lathan Ransom star-level players at linebacker and safety when it comes to diagnosing, taking the right angle, and making tackles on guys in the run game. And and that obviously feels super important. The scheme is obviously better, as Nathan covered. But I also feel like Eichenberg and Ransom like have a chance to maybe make it very difficult for Michigan to do what it wants to do.
0: It's going to be really interesting watching those two go up against J.J. McCarthy because he's going to evade some of these pass rushers. That's just going to happen. And Talia did it, and... Nathan uh, Ransom prevented it from being a touchdown, but it was still a big play. So I don't know. what We've seen Jim Nose blitz the safeties. We've seen him blitz the linebackers. What else is he holding on to for J.J. McCarthy and for Michigan? But I, I think this team, I, I do agree that this team, especially in the back seven, is a little bit better equipped for, whether it's a scrambling quarterback or Blake Form just got to the second level, they're a lot better equipped for keeping guys in front of them. Which was a big problem last year, is once you got past the defensive line who was already not getting a push, then there was nobody there to clean up the mess. I do think with Tommy can also still chambers in there as well. I don't think he's a star to the level of Tommy Eichenberg, but I think he's done his job to a good enough level. Ronnie Hickman as well. Those are four guys right there in the middle of defense who are doing a very good job of cleaning things up while Tommy Eichenberg and Lathan Ransom, you can turn them in the missile sometimes. And that's what was missing last year. So you at least solved the personnel problem.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think they solved the personnel problem in a, in a pretty decent way, and I think they solved the scheme problem in a, in a very real way. And okay. then they just got to coach them up, man. Got to coach them up for what Michigan's going to try to do. And again, I do think... And we'll have all week to cover this, but are we going to be trapped in like the reverse chess match of, well, this is what Ohio State does well. This is what Michigan does well. So maybe they're going to do the thing that they don't do as well. You know, like, how are you going to go about trying to attack these people? Um, Because I I do think, listen, Ohio State has had some issues figuring out offensively sometimes. I do think, generally speaking, Ohio State has been pretty well coached this year as much as we have – at times questions, sort of Ryan Day's play calling, that kind of thing. And I think Michigan has been very well coached this year. So I do think both sides of the ball, and again, Michigan's coming at it with with new coordinators from a year ago, but I think they've filled in very well with Sharon Moore and Matt Weiss calling the plays offensively and Jesse Minner on the defensive side of the ball. And then we know what Jim Knowles has done. And I do think more often than not, Ohio State has a pretty decent plan for how to get after people offensively. I think a, a lot of that's going to matter, right? Ohio State has more good players. Ohio State does have more good players, but they but Michigan, I think it, it their identity might be even locked in a little bit more. Um, and I do think nobody should take the the Michigan offensive line for granted and how good they might be. They might be the best offensive line in the country, you know, not just the best offensive line that Ohio State has faced so far. So. Two things I want to make sure we cover before we get out of here. We didn't talk to a ton of people after the game. We talked to Zach Harrison, talked to Lathan Ransom, talked to CJ Stroud. Nathan, anything we didn't cover that Ryan Day or CJ or anybody else said that was important that we need to communicate to the audience here?
1: me um, you Again, one of the screwy things that happened today on the, the point after they were going for two, then they get a penalty. They have to back it up, and they just kick the PAT. And Ryan Day said that that wasn't a – and he would, I think, give credit to Maryland if they had just blown the play up. But Ohio State just didn't block the play right, and it cost them three points. It's a three-point swing there, the one you don't score and the two points the other team gets. And in a game that was only a three-point game in the fourth quarter, that, that, that loomed looms fairly huge so just an, an example of a, a team that just uh was was not sharp today and they can't afford to be that not sharp
2: against michigan steven anything that you caught from anybody that you want to make sure that we didn't uh, we didn't mention yet
0: um i mean we uh, just just because we haven't talked about cj at all really in, in this in some of the stuff he said I asked him about Michigan and he said like, he's heard all the laughs and so all the, the Michigan quotes are coming out, whether it's Day talking about all the chips are in now. CJ saying we've heard all the laughs and we heard all the people were saying in the off season, everybody it's clear. Just like we're probably going to do after we get done with this pod. And yeah. They only won by 13 points, but who cares? It's on the Michigan week. This team is doing the exact same thing.
2: All right. So I think we covered everything. Uh, Ryan day did mention like some of the delay game penalties. He thought maybe like the, they were quick on the clock. On the play clock a little bit, he said one day it was on him. He got it in late. He thought maybe one time CJ kind of lost track of the clock. But he also thought that they were running a little bit quick. So, again, that's not a great thing. Can't be having uh, unnecessarily penal- unnecessary five-yard penalties uh, in the game next week. We will have a bunch of coverage this week. We're going to have a podcast every day. That's the plan. And we do have this, this bigger story that we're working on midweek for Tuesday or Wednesday that Nathan and Steven have been doing a lot of reporting on. Uh, about what it's been like for all these players in the past year, sort of living with the idea of a, of a loss to Michigan, their reaction in the aftermath immediately, and then in the off season, and then during this season, just talking to a lot of their families about what those guys have been like, you know, what they've been like to live with, how they took it, how it motivated them, because that's the thing. We almost lost the 11-0, but, but I don't, I I think it would have decreased like the value, you know, the whatever of this game, the impact, the excitement of this game, like 5%, not even that. If somebody would have lost today, because that's not what it's about. It's about Ohio State versus Michigan. It's about Ohio State being angry. It's about Michigan trying to, you know, prove that that last year wasn't a fluke. And and that's what it's all about. And the playoff stakes were going to be there anyway, even if somebody had lost today. So this is cool that it's 11 and 0, 11 and 0 for the first time since 06. It's as high as they've been ranked since 16 when 16 2016 was also 2 versus 3. All of that's really cool, but as you know, that's not really what it's about. It's not really about making the playoff. It's about Michigan beat Ohio State last year and Ohio State had to live with that in a way. And we know they lost in 11, but then Urban got hired and that kind of got wiped away and it was a fresh start in 12. They have not had to live live with a loss. The Michigan loss like this since the 03 season and then into the 04 season. So that's what this is. And I think we all know that. And the other stuff is awesome. Oh, how great is it? But, you know, they both played close games Saturday. Great. The 118th version of the game. Everybody listening to this knows what it's all about. All right. We appreciate you guys making Buckeye Talk part of your week. We'll be talking to you a lot this week. Go read cleveland.com/slash OSU. For Stephen Means and for Nathan Baird, I'm Doug LaMaurice, and that was Buckeye Talk.